Good morning. It is good to be with you today, and it is a beautiful day for us to be together. And appreciate all those who are visiting, and we have a number who are, and we thank you for coming our way, uh, setting this time aside to be with Christians and to worship God, to remember our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, the warrior who is battling for our souls. We'll turn your Bibles to Jeremiah. We're going to spend some time there this morning as you look at a very interesting account in the days or the latter days, the latter years of the great prophet of God, Jeremiah. I want to begin by asking you a question, and that is, have you ever made up your mind to do something and then refuse to change your decision, no matter what anybody said, you are so determined, I'm going to stick to what I've already decided to do. Has, have you ever done that? Well, if, if your decision was a good one, if your decision was the right decision, refusing to budge you know, probably was the right thing probably was a good thing that you stuck you know, to your decision because you knew this is the right decision, this is the good decision. But if not, then it had grave consequences, did it not? Grave and serious consequences followed because you made a decision and you stuck to it And you should not have done that. Now, some of our daily routine decisions that we make along the way are of little consequences. Don't have huge ramifications. Some of those don't. But some choices, some decisions are much more serious. and, And we know that. We know that as Christians, we know that even just as men and women living in this world, that some decisions have greater consequences. They're serious decisions. They're serious choices. And the reason why? Because they pertain to life, they pertain to death, and they pertain to eternity. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a disobedient people. Their stubbornness is quite evident when you read and study and meditate those holy scriptures because they would get something in their mind. They'd make some kind of decision and they would then run headlong, headlong to its terrible end. That was repeated again and again and again throughout the history of the nation of Israel. Now, God warned them often, and God admonished them often and and tried to call them back, but most of the time, not every time, but generally speaking, most of the time, the nation in general refused to listen to God, refused to listen to God's prophets, God's messengers, because they had already made up their minds and they were not budging. 
In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah lived during the latter years of that nation. He lived, he, he lived through the time period when God is already sending the great Babylonian empire against his people, using them as his vessel, his instrument of discipline and chastisement. We'll turn to Jeremiah 42. Jeremiah 42, that is not what I want. We're going to have to skip this. Wrong PowerPoint up there. (laughs) So in Jeremiah 42, you have an occasion where that you've got the the survivors after this horrific, this horrific destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, what you have is a small remnant of Judah that are determined to sojourn back in the land of Egypt in spite of what God adamantly forbade them. And so it's the idea of setting your faces toward Egypt. And so I want to ask you a question, and we all need to ask this question ourselves along life's journey, is is the fact that are our faces set on Egypt? Are our faces set on Egypt? Or another way of saying the same question is, are we wanting to sojourn back in Egypt? Because that's exactly what this surviving group, surviving remnant in Judah, they have just survived the horrific destruction of Jerusalem. The temple is gone. It is left in ruins. And there's a struggling group of, of, of Jews, Israelites in Judah, because most of them are dead or in captivity. And they're wanting now to go to Egypt. So in Jeremiah, I'm going to pick up our reading here. In Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 7 through 22. It's a bit of a lengthy reading, but please follow along. Then at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called for Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, and for all the people, both small and great. Now, this is just a remnant. It says all the people. It's not that many. And he said to them, so Jeremiah is saying to the people there who are left, he's called them back together, and he's saying to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me, now listen, that you sent me to, to present your perdition before him. And then he reminds them what they asked Jeremiah. He says, if you will indeed stay in this land, then I will, he says, I will build you up and not tear you down. You've asked me to go to ask ask God, what what does God say about this? And now he says, let me tell you what God's answer. You asked me to ask God, here's God answering you. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up. Now get a picture here. What does Jerusalem look like? Jerusalem is in ruins. It is in devastation. And God says, if you will stay 
I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. For I will relent concerning the calamity that I have inflicted on you. So they are in the midst of calamity and they're there because God did it to them. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon whom you are fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. God sent the Babylonians and God says, don't be afraid of them now. I will now save you. I will also show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own soil. But if you're going to say, God knows the hearts of men, does he not? If you're going to say, we will not stay in this land so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. And what did God, where did God tell them to stay? Stay here in Jerusalem. Stay in Judah, and I will build. I will save you. But he says, but don't say you're leaving. Then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, verse 15. O remnant of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you really set your mind to enter Egypt and go in to reside there, then the sword, the sword which you are afraid of, will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine about which you are anxious will follow closely after you there in Egypt, and you will die there. So all the men who set their mind to go to Egypt to reside there will die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and they will have no survivors or refugees from the calamity that I am going to bring to them. They've already suffered God's calamity once, and he says, if you go and live in Egypt now, he says, I'm going to afflict you even more. Verse 18, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so so there are witnesses of this. They have just lived through the outpouring of God's wrath. He says, so my anger will be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. And you will become a curse, an object of horror, and and, and imprecation and a reproach, and you will see this place no more. The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah. Do not go into Egypt. You should clearly understand that today I have testified against you. For you have deceived yourselves. For it is you who sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God, and whatever the Lord our God says, Tell us so, and we will do it. 
Sounds like some forefathers, does it not? So I have told you today, but you have not obeyed the Lord your God, and even in whatever he has sent me to tell you. Therefore, you should now clearly understand that you will die by the sword. You will die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you wish to go to reside. Are our faces set on Egypt? Because you have here, you have this remnant of people. Once again, they have survived the horrific destruction upon Jerusalem and Judah, which came upon them because of their disobedience, because of the abominations that they were engaged in. God's wrath you know, and justice had to be implemented. And so, but now they're here, left in the land, in a place that is in ruins, and they're afraid of Babylon because of what they experienced. And their faces are now shifting and turning toward Egypt. And the reason why is because their desires were for Egypt. They desired Egypt now. Now, most Bible students (coughs) understand the idea that Egypt in their history, was a place of slavery. And it was a place of cruel slavery slavery against the people of Israel. And so you go back, for example, to the book of Exodus, and you glance over some verses where it talks there, chapter 1, verse 13, it says, the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. A Pharaoh came to the throne that did not remember Joseph and looked upon this multitude of people in their land, strangers, aliens, and he basically made them slaves now to his own purposes. And then you look over to chapter, you know, chapter uh, uh, 2, and where we're told at the end of chapter 2 that God heard their groaning. Conditions are bad. It is horrible there for them in this slavery and labor. And so they are groaning and God heard that and remembered his covenant with Abraham. And he, so he sees and God took notice. God noticed what was going on down there in the land of Egypt against his people, the covenant people those descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then by chapter 3 is when God, you know, Moses encounters God there, and you've got the conversation going on between God and Moses at the burning bush. And God says this about you know, the condition of, of his people back in Egypt. So this, this, is, this is the history of it. What, what is Egypt? Egypt is slavery. <coughs> Egypt is a place of oppression. In verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings. And he says, I've come down to deliver them. You know the story. He's sending Moses back to be his leader, to bring his people out. In verse 9, God continues to say, Behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. That's what 
Israel was in their history. And God delivered them. God saved them, at, saved them out of that. And you think, okay, so now you come to the period of Exodus and Numbers. And so in the wilderness, what's going on? In the wilderness, God is preparing them. God is disciplining them. And that's what the wilderness was all about. The wilderness was about training them and getting them ready for the promised land. It was the place of preparation. It was the place of teaching and training. And in spite of what all that God has already done to bring them out of, out of Egypt, as you know, the Israelites repeatedly, during the wilderness, long for the so-called comforts of Egypt. Now remember, what was Egypt? It was cruel slavery. It was oppression. It was suffering. It was groaning and rigorous labor. But in their history in the wilderness, we see that they would want to go back because things got a little tough in the wilderness. But very quickly, so for example, look in, uh, in Exodus 16, as you once again see one of the things that they, they said in their complaint. In Exodus uh, 16, Verse 2 and 3, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses there in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to him, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. You know, remember, what were they doing in the land of Egypt? They were groaning. They were crying out to God to save them. And now they're saying, God, I just wish you'd left us there so we could have died in Egypt. And the, now, but wait, once again, it is somewhat of... Um, a skewed memory. Because they say, oh, and during that time, I wish you were, because we sat by the pots of meat and we, we ate bread to the full, for you brought us out to this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. Is that why God brought them out? So that, he, they, that they would die of hunger and will, and there was no. God, God was taking care of them. And so here you got this delivered nation in Exodus. You know, you know, and so what is, what is Egypt? Egypt was the place where they had food on the table in spite of their oppressive suffering. Oh, it was so good back there. They don't remember how bad it was. Oh, but we had food on our table. You come to Numbers 11, and you see in Numbers 11 this idea of the impatient, ungrateful na- you know, nation where you know, they look back and they say, it was, it was a place of bountiful harvest. It's another occasion of their grumbling. In Numbers 11, verse you know, 4 through 6, you know, this is what they say to us. That, you, know, the, you have this rabble among them, and they have this greedy desires, and the sons of Egypt, they're weeping. You know, Who will give us meat to eat? Verse 4. And they say, we remember the fish which we used to get, eat free in Egypt and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. And so, you know, you think about the history here. You know, you have the delivered nation. You have the, the impatient nation in the wilderness. And by the time of Jeremiah, you have the surviving remnant this surviving remnant, which thought Egypt was going to be a place of no war, no hunger, no threat, no threats. It is an escape from our troubles, as we read in the 42nd chapter in verse 14. 
Even the New Testament talks about Egypt in the time when Moses grew up there. Moses knew which was the best choice and the right choice. But it talks about in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, the, the subject of the choice of faith that Moses made in verse, you know, verses 25 and 26, choosing rather to endure ill treatment and reproach of Christ instead of what? The pleasures of Egypt and the riches and the treasures of Egypt. In their mind, you know, Egypt offered all this good stuff. And once again, at the time of the exodus and the wilderness, for most of the first generation who had been freed from Egyptian slavery, think about this, this generation, you know, that was above 20, everyone above 20, and, you're, you're not, you know, and, and that was a lot of people. That was a lot of people. Hundreds of thousands of people. They came out of Egypt, delivered from oppression and suffering and rigorous labor. God, you know, God called them out. God brought them out of that slavery. It was by God's power. But the problem was Egypt was not out of the people. They weren't in, they weren't in Egypt anymore. Physically, but Egypt was not out of the people. And so here you have, even in the days of Jeremiah, centuries later, centuries upon centuries, a long history, Egypt is still not out of the people. What do we desire? What are we longing for? Egypt is still alluring people of God. Egypt is still enticing people of God because of the so-called delicacies, pleasures, and promises that it makes to us. Because Egypt represents slavery. It represents enslavement. And the Egypt of our day is worldliness. Worldliness is our Egypt. And it's enticing and it's alluring. But we need to learn the lessons of old and we even need to learn the lesson of Jeremiah. We don't need to be desiring to go back to our Egypt. That's what the surviving remnant wanted. They wanted the satisfaction and the delights of evil because they felt, here we are, we're left in this place of ruined destination. God has, has forgotten us. God has forsaken us. God has abandoned us. And he's going to leave us here to die. We are called to come out of the world. We're called to be separate from the world. We're called to be different from the world, but like them, here's our challenge, like them, too often, Egypt is still in our heart. Worldliness is still 
in our heart. There's some familiar passages that you can turn to that clearly emphasize the idea you know, we have been called out of the world, we have been translated out of the world, but we've got to get the world out of ourselves. And so, for example, 1 John 2.15, he says, do not love what? He says, do not love the world. You know, what does that mean? That means, do not love the lust of the flesh. That's what that means. Do not love the lust of the eyes. Do not love the pride of life. Because the world is Egypt. It is enslavement. It is oppression. It is where suffering is. And so we're told, yes, God has called us out of the world to be different and separate, but we have to make sure we get the world out of us. Do not desire Egypt. First, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, there in the end of that chapter, talking about, previous talking about how, you know, do not be unequally yoked. And how righteousness and unrighteousness, they don't, you know, they don't go together. You know, idolatry and Christ, they don't mix. And so you know, in verse, you know, verse 17, he says, come out and be separate and do not touch what is unclean. And I'll be your God, and you'll be my sons and daughters. You know, that's a powerful thought. He says, don't even touch it. Don't touch it. We touch it, don't we? We touch it sometimes. And we get bit every time. Or Romans 12, 2. Talking about living sacrifices, very familiar passage. We're to be living sacrifice for God now, for Christ. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I do that? I do that by getting Egypt out of my mind and filling it with God. That's how I do that. I've got to get Egypt. I've got to get the world out of my heart out of my thoughts, and I've got to fill it with God. If I don't fill it with what's good and what's right, I'm, I'm going to fill it with Egypt again. It happens to all of us. You know, the Israelites in Jeremiah's day set their faces toward Egypt. Why? Because they were desiring Egypt. The hearts of those Israelites had turned back to Egypt. Really like you know, what Stephen says. You remember Stephen, the first recorded Christian to die for Christ. To die for the one faith that saves souls. And so in that great discourse that cut hearts so deeply in Acts chapter 7... He talks about this idea of the hearts of the people. And contextually, he's really talking about even in the days of their deliverance and wandering. But in, 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 in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, listen to what Stephen said when he was preaching that powerful sermon. When he says, our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him. That is, they, they kept on refusing to obey God. Why? It was because 
Notice, because they repudiated him, is the New American Standard Version. The people repudiated God, and in their hearts, in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They turned back to a place of slavery. They turned back to a place of oppression and suffering. Because they repudiated in their heart God, and in their heart they turned it back to Egypt. And that's why in Jeremiah, centuries later, after the wilderness period, you still have Egypt in the hearts of people of God. Generations of descendants later, they still have Egypt in their heart. And, what, and so it talks about how they set their faces to go to Egypt. And that expression is, is, or set their minds, maybe some versions. They set their faces, they set their minds, and that is repeated more than once in these latter chapters of Jeremiah. What does it mean to set your face towards something? Well, it simply means to look for or look towards something with determination to accomplish it. That's what that means. When you set your face towards something, you're looking in that direction with, with intense determination to the point that you are going to do this. It's a very focused view of things where you're going to reach this objective. You're choosing a direction and you're going to go for it. In Luke 9, Luke 9 It talks about Jesus. Now, having a set face or a set mind in a direction is not all bad. If it's set on the right thing, that's the question. It's not all bad to have determination and the perseverance to endure to to its accomplishment. In Luke 9, 51, it talks about the determination of Jesus going to the cross Aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you indebted for the fact that your Lord, my Lord, set his face to the cross and would not turn from that path? Praise him. Praise him for that. The challenge, though, is if our faces, our minds, our hearts are turned to the wrong thing or the wrong path, because minds that are set, minds that have chosen an objective are going to think about that objective. You're going to constantly, that's going to be constantly in the forefront of your thoughts, and your eyes are not going to look elsewhere, and you're going to turn to that. And that's where your heart's going to go. And so for the, for the, the, the Israelites the, in the, the, the days of destruction in Jerusalem, by keeping Egypt in their thoughts, by setting their faces on Egypt, they could think of nothing else. And once again, and, and it, was, it was a skewed perception. Their memory was flawed. It was blurred. But they could not see the right path because they set their mind on the wrong path. And no matter what Jeremiah was saying to them, they didn't listen. 
Now remember, they asked Jeremiah, go ask God about this. And Jeremiah comes back 10 days later and says, this is what God says. Stay and I will take care of you. Does God keep his word? Yes, they had eyewitness evidence of that. They saw God's work fulfilled in the destruction. Everything that the prophets have said, and there's more than one that said it, came to pass. They knew that. God keeps his word. But no, they desired Egypt. They'd set their face on Egypt, and they would not turn from that path, even though God is adamantly telling them something totally different from what they wanted already. And maybe that's a key to the problem is wanting something so intensely that God says, don't want that. It will be to your ruin. And so be careful. Be careful where you set your face. Worldliness, this figurative aspect of Egypt, when it's viewed favorably, when we look at the world favorably and all the stuff that the world offers us favorably, that will always lead us down the wrong road. It will always lead us astray. When we look on worldliness, what it offers us in a favorable light, when we have fond memories of the worldliness that we left, if, that, if that's what, how we view the world, we left and we look up on our past, we look on our old man fondly, if that's how we're thinking, the very thing that once enslaved us and we don't remember the slavery that we once were in, but we're thinking, oh, those are the good old days back then, it will, it will ruin us. It will ruin us. That's why you have all kinds of admonishments and admonitions that are coming to us, you know, in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul, even to the preacher, Timothy, preachers need to be reminded of this, and preachers need to be preaching this, but not just preach it, but also apply it for themselves. He says, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness. Do not pursue Egypt. Pursue godliness, and faith, and love, and perseverance, and, ge- and gentleness. That's what you need to pursue. Do not pursue worldliness. So the thing is, is our objective, is, is, is our face set on heaven, or is our face set on earth? Whatever our face is set on, that's what we're going to do. Even when God's is trying to say, Watch out, David. You set your face on things below. It will be your ruin. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 when talking about the goal, the upward call and goal that's in Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? You remember that there in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, I press upward. I press onward. Forgetting what lies behind. His past, in a sense, would have turned out to be a very prestigious career. Extremely 
prestigious career. That was his past. But he gave it up to know Jesus, to gain Jesus, and even to experience in his own way the cross of Jesus. Be careful where you sojourn. The word sojourn literally means basically to, to live somewhere, you know, to visit someplace temporarily. You know, are there places in the world, you know, or maybe even places in town, are there places that we should not visit at all? Are, are there places we should just never even step a foot there? We should, we, we should never stay for any length of time in that place. Yes, there are places in the world and in communities that, you know, God's people should not go there. They should not visit that. They should not stay a while there. And that's what God was telling these Israelites in Jeremiah's day, don't go to Egypt. Don't go visit Egypt. Now they're saying, well, we're just going to go there and sojourn, thinking, okay, we're going to live there for a while, and then one day we're coming back. That's what, that's what they're thinking. You know, I'm just going to be there a little while. It's not going to affect me. It's not going to cause me to turn away from God. And God says, don't go because it's going to be your ruin. But they wanted to go, and they wanted to stay a while. And that journey, that sojourning was a road of apostasy. Because what, what they end up doing is, is that they end up engaging in Egyptian idolatry now. They just come through the Babylonian you know, chastisement you know, according to God's wrath, which was because of the, their uh, engagement in all kind of idolatry. And, and here you've got the surviving remnant, and they go, we want to be in Egypt because we're gonna, it's safer there. It, it'll, you know, you know, we're, we're in this mess right now. He said, let's go to Egypt. We'll just sojourn for a little bit. And God knew, God knew what was going to happen. Even if they sojourned for a little bit. Because quickly, quickly, if you go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 44, verse 7 and 8. Very quickly, these people began participating in idolatry. Now when now then, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. You know, at this point, by chapter 44, they are in Egypt. And they have forced Jeremiah. Basically, they, they enslaved Jeremiah to go with them. Jeremiah is not there because he wants to be there. He's there because they imprisoned him there. His own people did. And Jeremiah, God is still speaking through Jeremiah. He says, now, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why are you doing great harm to yourselves so as to cut off from you, from you man, one child, everyone, provoking me near. Why are you doing this? You're just hurting yourself. Verse 16, I've spoken to you, you know, you know the name of the Lord, but, you know, but, but you've said, we're not gonna listen. But listen to what they say. What they're saying, responds Jeremiah, 
We will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths by burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings, our princes, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food. What a skewed memory. What a skewed memory. Back when we, we practiced idolatry and all those abominations, we had it good. And so we're going to do it still. In Egypt, I don't care what you told me, Jeremiah. I don't care what God has said. Even though way back, he says, whatever God says, we'll do. How skewed we can become. We're sojourners. Our path as Christians is described as a sojourning because we're heading toward heaven. We have to make sure, though, in our sojourning here on earth, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our country, we have to make sure that our sojourning is one all about living in the likeness of God's righteousness and God's holiness. You know, the psalmist gives us some pretty good advice in Psalm 1 when talking about where you sit and where you stand, and where you stay. He warns us, don't go sit in the wrong places and the wrong people. Don't go stand with the wrong, in the wrong places and the wrong people. Because if you do, if you do, if you go put yourselves in those circumstances, and to be among them, to be part of them, he says, it will be to your ruin. The psalmist said that way back when. So we need to listen to that device. You know. You know, where do I want to live? With whom do I want to be? And so we're warned to take heed. Beware of bad company, bad associations, because it corrupts. Don't go back to that from which your Lord, your Savior, your King has delivered you from. Don't go back to the enslavement of sin from which your Lord, your King, your High Priest has freed you from. Don't go back to that. Don't sojourn again in Egypt. We have all already sojourned there long enough. Don't go back to it. Sojourn in a way that is a path to the assurance of heaven, because in Egypt is death. There's death in Egypt. The very thing from which the Israelites were seeking to escape, the very thing that they were trying to escape from, the sword, the famine, God says, that's exactly what you're going to reap. That's exactly what's going to happen to you. I'm telling you, don't go there. And they say, no, we're going. I don't care what God says. I'm going. And God says, and this is what's going to happen to you. The very Babylonians that you're afraid of, they're going to find you in Egypt. And you're going to, buy, and you're going to die by their sword there. You could have stayed in Jerusalem and you, you would have been taken care of. But no, you want to go to Egypt. 
You want to go back to this place of enslavement and oppression and ruin? And he says, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. You think it's the place of safety. You think it's the place of happiness. You think it's the place of peace. And God said, it's not. It's death. It's the same for us as well. If we set our faces to sojourn in the land of lust and lies, and that's the world we live in, a land with all kind of allurements and promises, pleasures and prosperity, if, if we set our faces so, to that to be our sojourn in that place, then sin will find us out. And we will reap what we have sown. You know the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6. You sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, and you, and you will reap life. But you sow to the flesh. You sow and sojourn in Egypt. He says, death is what awaits you. That's why Paul even reminds the saints in Corinth. They live in a, they live in a really bad place. Corinth was a very wicked place. But there were souls that recepted the truth. The gospel had the power even to save souls in a place called Corinth. The gospel is power to save hearts that believe. But, he, but Paul is reminding those Christians that, okay, watch out, because those who practice unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Where is your face set? Is your face set on Egypt, the things of this world, or is it set on God, on truth, on heaven? If you, choose, if you make the right decision, you need to stick to the right decision. If you're making the wrong decision, please listen to God. Listen to God. Turn from that path. Turn from the idolatry of our world and taste of freedom. Taste of deliverance. Taste of salvation. Knowing that you're king take you home one day. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, we want to encourage you to render obedience to to Jesus. To obey the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. To obey Jesus. By confessing your faith that He is the Son of God and to repent of your sins and to be buried in baptism with Him. So that by grace you can be raised up to walk a new life, a life of freedom, liberty in Christ, and hope of heaven. Whatever your spiritual need may be, please come now when we stand and sing the song that's been selected.